You are listening to The Tish with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Michael Knopf, please visit MikeKnopf.com. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit JCastNetwork.org. Good morning, everybody. Um, we were, before turn, turning on the um, recorder, uh, having a conversation about... Um, um, about borders and boundaries of uh, of Jewishness and about um, um, the the tension between um, wanting to sort of hold on tight to things and being prepared to let some things go. Um, and that's really relevant, I think, to the mitzvah that we're going to talk about today, which is the mitzvah of Shemitah, which literally means to uh, to let go, to relinquish. Um, and, uh, um, and it refers to, um, uh, uh, two basic, uh, behaviors. Um, so every seven years, according to the Torah, the land was, uh, uh, God commanded that the land, uh, lie fallow, um, not be worked on the, on the seventh year. So six years you work and, and harvest the land, seventh year you don't plant new crops, um, uh, you don't uh, have a, uh, a, a, um, a full-scale harvest of crops, etc. Um, you let the land uh, lie fallow. Um, so that's one aspect of it. The second aspect of it is um, a Shemitat Kisafim, um, which, uh, which, which uh, literally means the, uh, um, uh, the forgiving of debts. Um, so every seventh year, if uh, if you owed a debt to somebody, um, it had to be forgiven, uh, or whatever part was not paid back had to be forgiven uh, on the seventh year. Now that uh, um, over the course of time, uh, it's unclear how how much either of these things were actually fully practiced, um, and there uh, were several creative um, legal workarounds instituted for both of these practices. Um, but nevertheless, the uh, the theory behind them, the spirit behind them, um, remains a uh, I think an important consideration. So um, the question that we are asking here is, what's the point, right? Why would such a practice be commanded? What does it do for a person and for a society, for a community to uh, practice these things? Okay. And so I want to look at um, the Sefer Chinuch's response to that question, and he gives a few different. Uh, answers uh, to it. And so the bottom of 327 here, and he starts this way. At the root of the commandment lies the purpose to establish in our heart and set in our thought. Okay, so uh, this is, remember if remember we mentioned that uh, he's really working off of uh, um, Rambam's conception that there are really two general purposes to any commandment. Uh, to or to all the commandments, and they either they, they might fit into either one of these categories. They might sometimes fit into both these categories. The first is perfection of the spirit, and the section is perfection of the body. So, spirit um, it doesn't necessarily mean like Casper the friendly ghost. It means uh, per- perfection of the intellect, refining our knowledge about things, our understanding of things. Um, and perfection of the body isn't only about your physical health, it can refer to um, the body politic, right? So um, ethical behavior, um, social norms, and things like that, okay? So this is, he's saying, Shemitah is, at least in part, 
a perfection of the spirit issue, a perfection of the mind issue. It's refining our knowledge and our understanding of something. And here's what it is trying to do. Uh, a firm conception of the doctrine that the world was brought into being as a new entity out of nothing. In other words, Shemitah, letting the land life out, is supposed to teach us that the world was created out of nothing. Um, so this was a, uh, a major debate in, uh, in medieval Jewish philosophy um, about whether God created the world out of nothing or whether uh, the world was uh, uh, eternal, right, in some way. God created the world out of uh, pre-existing matter. Um, that question, in a lot of ways, is uh, is still a live question by science. We don't. If you're watching uh, this new um, version of the Cosmos series on Fox, which is uh, the first episode was uh, this weekend, it was phenomenal. Uh, if you haven't started watching it, you can still watch it on online. That first episode, um, but uh, uh, so Neil, De, Neil deGrasse Tyson uh, from the Hayden Planetarium in New York is. Uh, um, uh, hosting it it's just really phenomenal and what and, and one of the things that that he acknowledges in that uh, um, uh, first piece is that uh, science doesn't know what happened before the big bang in some ways it's impossible for science to study what happened before the big bang because science can only study the observable and quantifiable and so um, um, uh, you, all we all that is observable and quantifiable is the known universe, right? Uh, and the known universe started in the Big Bang. Um, so if it happened before the Big Bang, it's not the known universe, and so therefore it's not observable and quantifiable. So, um, so science. So that is a question that uh, that that uh, astrophysics is uh, is um, trying to get to the heart of today. Is is could can we understand? Can we know what happened before the Big Bang? Um, and but if you ask a scientist what happened before the Big Bang, they will say, "I don't know," um, and, uh, and 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 that's okay because we don't know. Um, uh, and, and so in the Middle Ages, we didn't know uh, any better, and so there were, but we didn't have astrophysics, so there was a debate: was the uh, universe created out of pre-existing matter, or was it uh, create, or the world really? They were thinking about in those days, um, pre-existing matter, or was it uh, created out of nothing? Um, and uh, the way many of the rabbis in that period understood the Torah, um, which is actually probably not an accurate understanding of Genesis, um, is that the world was created out of nothing. Um, uh, so that's, that's what Maimonides says, although Maimonides uh, does say that if uh, we were able to prove in some way uh, that the world was created out of pre-existing material, um, uh, we would simply refine our uh, our interpretation of the Torah to match that uh, scientific understanding. Maimonides was was that a tomb of science to be able to say that. Um, but anyway, the, the author author of Sefer Chinuch is very firmly, it seems, in the camp of God created the world out of nothing, um, and so therefore says that Shemitah is to remind us that God created out of no, uh, the world out of nothing. How does it work? For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day uh, God created nothing. He, God had uh, uh, God self-described in, in Scripture as resting. In other words, only a God that is capable of creating something out of nothing could also halt the process of creation at, at a certain uh, point in time and then restart it later on. So he, he doesn't buy the concept that there has to be a creation of the concept of resting. 
No, no, no. He, no, he does. I mean, God invented the concept of resting, right? Uh, by, by, by virtue of doing that. But it, but it was created out of nothing, right? right. Uh, okay. um, it was. It, there was no such thing as resting before God created the concept of resting. And it's as important to uh, to understanding God's role in creation as creating itself, because for God to create but never stop creating diminishes in a way God's power, right? If God couldn't stop but keeping on creating the world, right, then God has really no control, right? But for God to be able to stop creating, that asserts God's control. And so our uh, um, application of that idea in our own practice reminds us of the real power it takes to stop creating, right? And, uh, and therefore um, reminds us of God's power and God's power to create out of nothing. It also um, uh, reminds us, um, if we keep on going, in order to remove, uproot, and extirpate from our thinking any concept of the world's timeless preexistence in which those who deny the Torah believe, he's very strongly in this camp, thereby demolishing its very uh, basis and breaking its every wall, right? It's the, according to the Sefer Chinuch, um, that's really the foundation of Torah, that God created the world out of nothing. I think that, that uh, Torah is uh, strong enough to uh, withstand um, an argument against God creating the world out of nothing, but that's maybe another conversation. The obligation was imposed on us to spend our entire time, day by day, year by year, in reference to this, to count six years and rest on the seventh, in the same way that we count six days and rest on the seventh, and then we count six cycles of years and rest uh, at the end of the seventh cycle of year, the 50th year, Jubilee. <clears throat> Um, and thus the forty ninth. Uh, uh, no. Well, yes, yes. The 49th is Shemitah, and then the the fiftieth is the Jubilee. Yeah. Uh, and thus the matter will never ever depart from between our eyes, uh, from our mind, as it is akin to our practice of spending the days of the week as six working days in a day of rest. In other words, we constantly do this to constantly remind ourselves of the of the strength it takes to uh, to stop, um, and to uh, and, and to. Uh, um, showcase um, uh, God's creative power. Okay, so it's to cultivate this notion in our minds. Now, if we're really being honest with um, uh, uh, what is the what is the job that the practice is trying to get done, and does it do it? Um, I have my doubts about whether or not the practice of Shabbat and the practice of Shemitah. Um, cultivate that, uh, that, that awareness and that, uh, that, that mindset, unless you go into the practice saying to yourself, I'm doing this to cultivate that awareness and that mindset, in which case it's not really the practice that's doing it, it's the mindset that you have, that, that, that you brought into it. Um, I'm, 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 so I'm a little bit wary about that proposition, um, that, uh, that, that it refines our knowledge in, in that way. Um, but maybe, you, uh, you you disagree. Uh, I think that the other arguments that he makes, and I want to go through those, are more compelling to me, okay? Um, because these, I think, are more um, experiential modes of learning. So for this reason, God, blessed is God, commanded us to leave free, ownerless, all that the land will produce in this year, apart from resting in it, so that a man will remember that the land which grows produce for him every single year does not grow it by its own power and aptitude. There is a Lord and Master over it and its owner, and when God so desires, God commands him to leave it all ownerless. In other words, um, 
the, uh, the, 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 the production of the land uh, um, uh, uh, will happen or not happen by, uh, by virtue of uh, God's work, not exclusively man's work. Um, and so by refraining from working the land, we can actually see um, uh, God's role in, uh, in continually renewing the process of creation. Um, that, I think, is um, a, a real experiential component of, of Shemitah, um, that, uh, um, that, that, that uh, it really requires you to, uh, to, to attune yourself and see the, um, the, the nature of God's work in the, in, uh, in, uh, in the world. Um, that, by the way, is, um, I've been thinking about, I was thinking about this a lot when I was watching this Cosmos, um, uh, show, um, that, uh, um, in a branch of philosophy that I've been spending a lot of time thinking about, uh, lately called process, uh, thought, um, process thought is, uh, very much, uh, tries to, uh, make metaphysics, which is trying to understand that which science can't yet explain, um, uh, about our reality, um, to, to make it, uh, um, uh, coherent with what we know in physics, right? Uh, metaphysics is outside of physics, and physics is physics. Um, and so, if that's the case, um, then um, then then it doesn't really make sense to have a metaphysics in which the rules of physics can be uh, suspended or broken. Um, the rules of physics are the rules that govern the universe, which means that um, even God can't break the rules. So there's a, um, a, a dichotomy that's presented in uh, ancient and medieval philosophy uh, between what's natural and what's supernatural, with the assumption that the universe is natural, but there exists forces in the universe that are supernatural, that operate outside of the bounds of, of nature and can therefore influence and change nature. Uh, but if you believe that metaphysics has to sync up with physics, you can't really have that uh, division between natural and supernatural. Everything is just natural, including God. So what, uh, the, so what uh, some of these thinkers have, have proposed is thinking about it this way, um, that instead of supernatural, um, we think of natural as super, comma, natural, exclamation point. Which means that what we uh, uh, what we usually classify as as natural is actually much more super than we usually give it credit for, right? The universe is amazing, and um, and a lot of it is beyond our knowledge at the moment, um, which makes it even more super. But it's just profoundly beautiful and wondrous and um and and so we usually think of natural as okay well i throw a ball down the street and it rolls down the hill and that's natural right or or a plant grows outside and that's very nice right but if you look at the cellular biology of that plant right and the and uh, the physics of the sunlight hitting it and its ability to turn the sunlight into right it's super um so um uh, so this idea that uh, that following the practice of Shemitah can attune us to the to the super components of the natural. Um, I think is a real is a real uh, uh, effect of uh, of resting in that sabbatical year. He goes on. 
there's another useful benefit to be gained from it. And I love this. To attain through it the quality of yielding and relinquishing. There is no one so generous as a person who gives with no hope of receiving anything in return. Right? That is a very direct impact of, uh, of Shemitah. If you follow Shemitah and, uh, and uh, um, uh, don't plant during the sabbatical year and you give up that control, right, it does something to you. It makes you very anxious initially and maybe there's a level of anxiety that continues, but there's also something very freeing um, about, uh, uh, about, uh, and healthy about letting go. That's why Shabbat every seven days is a very, I think, healthy practice that many people, Jew and non-Jew in our world, desperately, desperately need, um, especially now. We needed it before, but especially now. Um, and I think that's true of the sabbatical year as well. It's, it's, it's like a super Shabbat. Right. Um, not only do we do like the normal resting things on on Shabbat, but we also, you know, totally leave the land behind. And there's something very um, uh, healthy about it. Uh, and there's also it it cultivates the quality of uh, of generosity. Why? Because it's not only about you not planting, but it's also about uh, you letting the land be ownerless. Right. That's another feature of the Shemitah year. Is that not only can I not plant on the land. But I also don't own the land for that year. So anybody can come take the crops that grow on my land. Um, and I can go and take crops from anybody else's land. Right? There's no such thing, in a way, as private property during the Shemitah year. Um, so that's it's not... Off, it's awfully theoretical for him to say. As, ni- as nice as it is in theory, and as you said, it probably never really worked that way. Uh, because it can't. Yeah, probably not. Um, uh, but there are aspects of it that, that I think probably did work. Um, and, and you can still see elements of this on Shabbat, right? The whole concept oh, of, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, there are. Yeah. And the whole concept of Eruv is that, uh, at it's least in theory, right? At least in theory, everybody's space belongs to everybody, right? Is that your, your, your private home is actually, uh, in my private space too. So I can go into your home theoretically and take whatever food I want out of your fridge. And I'm going to this Shabbat. Um, and, uh, right. Um, so it does that too, but yes, you're right. It may not have ever, right. It may have been easy for him to say, talk about it in theory. It may have never worked in practice, but, um, I, I think if, if it did, um, in, in a, maybe a perfect world, I, I certainly think that, uh, that, that it, it would have instilled that value. And by virtue of it being, um, uh, an expressly, articulated command in the Torah, it says that this is a value to which we should strive. We should strive. It doesn't mean that, you know, it's a totally Marxist vision. We should, there should be no private property. No, it's not saying that. It's saying that six years you have private property, um, but on the seventh, we share. Um, you're you're one-seventh a Marxist. So, it's, uh, this was during a very agrarian based on an agrarian economy. Yeah. But how would one even go about such a thing nowadays? Yeah, it's tough. And and uh, Israel actually struggles with this nowadays. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, the, most people believe that in the land of Israel, the, the laws of the sabbatical year never um, 
never went out of practice. Um, and so, uh, so you have to practice it. I mean, so it refers primarily to agrarian things. Um, but, uh, that means that in the, um, in the marketplace, um, uh, you know, you have to have supervised produce and, uh, and, and that sort of thing. Uh, um, it, it was never really expanded to like mercantile goods, right? So the private property issue, um, didn't really expand to, you know, if I, if I, you know, I don't grow crops for a living, but I build houses, you know, it doesn't mean that, that the house I build, um, uh, can be lived in by anybody. Um, uh, but it does have impacts in the, in the, uh, consumer economy, uh, aside from the, uh, um, agrarian aspect, um, because of the relinquishing of debts, right? And so that's a major feature of, uh, of, uh, of the marketplace. Um, and so if, uh, if, if debts are absolved, you know, think of what that would do to the housing market and, you know, and, uh, and, and all the ripple effects that that has as well. Um, so by the way, that's also yielding and relinquishing of the Schmitz right. Oh. right? <laughs> Big time. Right. Um, right. And, and it, it is also right. So, um, the, the notion of giving to charity is often couched in the Torah as lending to the poor. Um, but here you you see the 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 uh, proposed impact of that is you're lending to the poor but you know by lending to the poor that you may never get it back right and it's trying to cultivate a sense that you're giving right without the expectation that you're going to get anything in return for it. i never heard that sadaka was lending to the well they're they're different they're different categories of giving uh uh laid out in the torah but uh the the most um Articulate expression of uh, of of uh, um, of helping the poor in the Bible um, is is really about lending to the poor, um, uh, strengthening the hand of the poor, things like that. Um, now there are lots of restrictions on that, and the Shemitah is one restriction that it can that will be absolved. Um, uh, if you take someone's, uh, a poor person's garment in pledge, um, you have to give it back to them before nightfall, right? So there's all sorts of, uh, restrictions on lending to the poor, um, which is, um, in, 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 in our uh, economy today, when there's such a tremendous gap between rich and poor, um, and, uh, and, and very high cost of living in, uh, relation to, uh, the average, uh, um, income, um, uh, there, there's a, a cottage industry of uh, what they call payday loans, right? Uh, so uh, I don't know that it's such a cottage industry. <laughs> no, okay, it's so an industry. It's an industry, <laughs> uh, you know, which is uh, I give you, uh, you know, because I got to make ends meet today, right? And so I'll give you a loan at an extraordinarily high, you know, so basically, you know, lo- uh, legal loan sharking, right? Um, uh, so. Uh, you know, the Torah would prohibit that kind of uh, that kind of lending. It also prohibits lending on interest altogether, right? Um, but uh, um, but at the same time, you know, well, if you don't have the, those things exist because of the the difference in um, in cost of living versus income. So the, the Torah, I think, would would therefore um, obligate to, uh, certain uh, uh, fixes within the uh, economy that that uh, we're not yet prepared to A make. It seems wage like in our per country, hour. yes, um, right. Yeah. Um, so, okay, so one other thing in this, yet another useful benefit to be found in this is that a man increases trust in God. 
For any man who finds it in his heart to give and leave free, ownerless for all the world, all the produce grown by his hand, by his lands and the inheritance of his fathers for one whole year, and he and his family become trained in all in this all his life, neither the quality of miserliness nor a lessening of divine trust will ever seize hold of him. Right? I mean, that's really true. Think about it. I mean, the Torah even um, says that explicitly when it talks about Shemitah, is you might think to yourself, you know, how am I going to live on this? Right? And it says you've got to trust in God. Right? And that's a hard pill to swallow for, for many people. And, uh, you know, it's, there's that old joke about, you know, uh, trusting God and, and the flood comes and you have the right. boat coming. Right? So you've got to, you know, be aware of the, the signs where God's trying to help you when, when they exist. But the, the, in theory, at least, um, the the quality of being able to say actually um, the the sphere of human control um, is is very small, and we often try to exert control in ways that um, that that are um, illusory and unhelpful, um, and a little bit more trust, a little bit more. Um, yielding a little bit more, you know, uh, ebbing and flowing with, uh, with, with the rhythms of life, um, and suppleness with, with what comes to you, um, is really required for, um, for resilience and, and healthy living. And I'll just kind of end with, with one thought about this. So I was listening after the Olympics to, there was that American skeleton sledder. You know, the skeleton is like luge but crazier, uh, right? So you like go head first down the track. This, and This far from the ground. Right, this far from the ground. And uh, and so she won the, she's like this, uh, uh, you know, uh, mid-30s woman, I think, who, who sort of like sacrificed everything to follow this dream of being an Olympic skeletoner and has, you know, a young child and, and won the silver medal and, you know, leapt up into the stands to her family. It was this beautiful moment. So she was being interviewed on, uh, on the radio and, uh, and the interviewer asked her, what's the secret of skeletoning? And she said, um, it is relaxing, right? Making your body pliable. Um, because that way you kind of can, uh, can, can absorb the shocks um, and twists and turns of the of the um, of the ramp, right? So that's the thing, right? Most of us don't go through life like that. I mean, that's a life lesson, right? Most of us go through life really rigid because we feel like, okay, that's the way our defense mechanisms inside say, okay, we're going to absorb the shocks of life by like stiffening ourselves up against them. But the reality is that you're better able to handle life's twists and turns and bumps if you can be flexible. If you can be absorbent, right? If you can absorb the shock. So Shemitah, I think, is trying to cultivate that with, within, within uh, a person who takes it seriously. Is that if you, if you really um, are prepared to let your land lie fallow for a year and take whatever comes, right? Um, and, and trust that you're going to get it all back the next year. Right? What does that do to your psyche? What does that do to your soul? And I think that it makes us like that skeletoner, or it's supposed to make us like that skeletoner, to learn that what's required in life, like what's required in skeleton, is to uh, be supple and to be absorbent, to, uh, to, to trust the track, um, to trust our own ability to uh, glide, um, and to trust God's hand in helping us get to the end.